0: good morning, Vineyard. How's everyone this morning? Great. It's so good to see everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor. And uh, we're going to do a special shout-out this morning to Michael Scott. Michael Scott. I just like saying the name just because it reminds me of The Office. And he's a good dude. Yeah, 20 bucks you owe me. That'll be, that'll be good. We are so happy to see you. We are going to... I don't know. I've just been feeling this morning and as this weekend's been approaching. Um, man, I just want to be in the presence of God. Right? And there's nothing for me that, that brings that to me. And being in corporate worship, you know, our, our corporate time together. We do a lot of stuff during the week, and I, I have a lot of meetings, and I meet with a lot of people, but there's something super special about standing with our brothers and sisters and seeing what the Lord's going to do. Amen? Do you have an expectation of that this morning? So I ask the question, and then you guys have to so say, silent. yes. Even if you're lying to me, please just so, everybody have that expectation? That's still kind of lame, but we'll take it. <laughs> there was three yeses out of the group. Everybody say good morning to our people online. Hello, I online community. They're in this camera, so if you looked at that one, you missed them. so Yeah, <laughs> the one with the red light.) Yeah, <laughs> So Father, just come, we just ask holy spirit we we need you we want you man, just be with us this morning whatever you've come in with today or whatever you've been praying about or the the mountaintops or the valley experiences this week, we just say come Holy Spirit meet us and just do a mighty work in our hearts and in our minds and we just thank you, we're thankful for your faithfulness we're thankful for your kindness and I'm thankful when I have nothing you have everything for me we ask and pray this in your name. Amen. Like I have ears in, but I didn't hear anything. Amen. There we go. I can still hear a little bit. Well, if you want to get to your feet or whatever posture you want to worship in today, we're going to do some throwback stuff, um, which kills me because that's 20 years and I played it 20 years ago, but it's throwback for me. But... Um, some stuff you know, and um, but just more important, let's just find a way to let the Holy Spirit work in our heart. <clears throat> Not every day do you get to have a bass solo. Uh morning off. You can put your
1: hands together too. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the words of the Lord. These are the days of your servant, Moses, right? the days of the trial to seek you
0: I thought there was a symbol left, but he actually just he left. (laughs) There you go. There's no one like
1: like Jehovah. There's no God 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 like Jehovah. There's no
2: God like
1: Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Just come. There's, no There's no
2: God
0: like Jehovah. There's no God
1: like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. The world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise, treasure to pay, and never enough. And you came along. we yeah. yeah.
0: This week, God has had me right, right in this place of. It's, it's part of the song. It says, "I'm not enough
3: unless you come."
0: Will you meet me here?
4: There's a part that I have to play.
0: I'm not enough, Lord, unless you come. Will you meet me here again? And he does. He does every single time. Maybe you're in that place where you've Thought about Man Lord, I'm so far away. How could you love me? Or maybe it's just me. But he's had me sit right here. I'm not enough, Lord, unless you come. I'm not enough, Lord, unless you come. I'm not enough, Lord. Unless you come. Sing with me. I'm not enough
1: unless you come. the place where you Amen.
4: All right, hello, welcome, everybody. We're excited you're here. Everybody out on the World Wide Web. Does anybody say that anymore? <laughs> meta, Meta. Oh wait, wait a minute. It's Facebook. That's what it is. OK, uh, our service today is being streamed, of course. If you're with us, you know that already. We will be sharing communion today, following announcements, so if you're home, grab a cup and some bread or cracker so you can join us. Pastor Brent will be finishing up our series, God Calling. Today's message is called Ezekiel's Call. It's found in the first three chapters of Ezekiel. So you can look it up, but it's also some of it's written in the bulletin. Today is name tag Sunday, so make sure you get a name tag so you can remember who you are. (laughs) Talk to somebody you don't know and welcome them to that they're joining us today. Ho, 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 who wouldn't go to the CFK meeting after church? (laughs) Okay, again, kickoff meeting for CFK today from 12 to 2 after church. If you're a part of the team, come. If you'd like to be a part of the team, we'd love to have you, and lunch is provided. Okay, this Saturday, September 23rd, from 9 to 11, we're having a pancake drive-in breakfast. That's no cost, but donations are for the outreaches. If you see in your bulletin, I'm sorry I didn't bring one up, but there's a little scan that you can, like, if you're, like, tech savvy, you can scan your scanner on your cell phone, and you can tell how many people you're going to come so that we can kind of get an idea of how much to buy. Also, if you can't do that, if you're not tech savvy, don't be concerned. Just call the church. You know how to use a phone, right? Call the church and tell them how many you're coming. So come and be a part of supporting our church outreaches. Get ready. The fall book study is coming. This year we are diving into Reason for God by Tim Keller, and anything Tim Keller does is over-the-top good. So again, you're encouraged to purchase the Reason for God guide. It's only like 11 bucks. The sermon series begins September 24th, which is? next Sunday already. We're flying into fall. With most groups beginning to study the next week, we encourage you to join a small group, and it is such a blessing. I've been a part of the men's group for years. It's such a blessing to really get to know somebody on a, on a more intimate basis and be able to share one another's burdens, to share one another's beliefs, and to build each other up. So if you're not in a small group, you ought to be in a small group. So Find one. I think there's a list of them on the back of your bulletin. Find one that's convenient and be a part of the small group for our fall book study. All City Vineyard Conference is coming up the 29th and the 30th at Christ the King in North Olmsted. Dr. Charles Montgomery is a speaker, and he is over-the-top good. I have heard him before. He is most amazing. So please, please uh, come and help support. It's good to do something with all our vineyards together, get together and and, uh, have a a great time. So again, come and hear Dr. Montgomery. And we have a youth event coming up on the Saturday night. It's Saturday night, guess why? Because we know that there's high school football games on Friday nights, and so they probably wouldn't come. So they have a youth event on Saturday, so you're not going to miss your football game. You can still come If you're a part of the youth at this time, uh, Scott and Lori will lead us in communion. And if you didn't get your little Mick communion cup, put up your hand and somebody will come around and bring you a communion cup.
3: Morning, church one of the TV shows that Laurie and I like to watch on Sunday evenings is on PBS and it's called Father Brown and if you ever watch Father Brown well I see one hand it's a good show you ought to watch it it's it's really neat Father Brown started off uh, as a series of uh, short stories written by G.K. Chesterton. Um, He invented the the character, and he wrote about them. He uh, he was writing in the early 1900s, and uh, you can still get those books today. But he wrote a book called, uh, well, Father Brown is a priest in the Anglican Church, but he's also a sleuth. And he, and he solves murder mysteries and, and that type of thing. And uh, Father Brown, in, in the book Father Brown's Secret, uh, he explains how he solves the mysteries that regularly come his way. You know, that, that little town he lives in is the murder capital of the world, apparently. Uh, <clears throat> but the priest says he imagines himself as the perpetrator of the crime, and that, and that reveals the solution to him. When someone in the story objected that he could not carry out such evil, the priest observes that, quote, no man can know how good he can be until he understands how bad he is. What a profound insight. We like to imagine ourselves as upright and and competent. We know, of course, that we have our faults, few though they may be. We understand that we aren't perfect, We may find it prudent to confess that we have sinned, but deep down we too often see ourselves as pretty good people and our imaginations get in the way of a real encounter with God. Until we know how sinful we are in God's eyes, we will never be able to be as good as God wants us to be. The Lord's Supper is a built-in reminder to approach the table of the Lord and leave with spiritual health and vitality. We must encounter the reality of sin. It was sin, my sin, your sin, our sin, that offended God. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. It was our sin that demanded a sacrifice to atone for it. Coming to this table is a stark reminder of how sinful we really are. But this table also reminds us how valuable we are and what we can be because of Jesus Christ. We are reminded of the truth of Romans 8:37 30 through 39, which says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor, nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we invite you to come this morning, acknowledge how sinful you are, and be reminded again of how good you can be through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now Lori's going to lead us uh, in the words of institution and the, uh, the invitation.
5: Please take the bread wafer. Remember that Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Please take the cup. Remember that Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
4: By the way, G, GK, G.K. Chesterton was actually a friend of C.S. Lewis and was one of the people that was kind of instrumental in Lewis coming to the Lord, so he had another big thing to play. All right, uh, thank you, Scott and Lori, and don't re- forget the offering plate back in the behind the church at the table, give your gifts your offerings, and your extra gifts to help the building. God bless, and Brent's up to give us the message.
6: Good morning. um, Before I share two things, um, I'm going to have Rochelle come up and share something. But even before I have Rochelle come up and share something, I want you all to welcome, I was just noticing on our, um, our live feed on on um, Facebook Live this morning that we have a friend from, named um, Richard Kaukulu from Zambia watching with us this morning. So, <laughs> hey Richard, good to see you. Send, send me a message this week sometime. So um, with that I'm going to invite my, my sister actually. Did you guys know Michelle is my sister? She really is, yes, Indeed. Twin siblings of different mothers, right? <laughs> another, another mother. So,
5: <laughs> make this try and make this quick. Um, I was going to wait to share next week when I have um, announcements, but something kept telling me, you know, share it now. Um, most of you, many of you, know that um, on August twenty-first, I lost my job of seventeen years at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and so part of that journey that I've been experiencing, even before that, the, the last four to six months have been really hard for me because the role wasn't a good fit. Um, my management wasn't, we weren't clicking, we weren't jibing, and there just was a, a lot of really hard stuff going on, and part of what, um... I'm walking through this journey, I keep saying to myself, man, your testimony is going to be amazing when all this is over. But part of what I've been feeling the last few weeks is, you know, no, stand up there and give your testimony now, because God has, has already worked everything out. Um, you know, I go to Jeremiah Jeremiah 11 and one of my verses, you know. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope. And a future, um, and some of the other verses that, that I've been experiencing are, you know, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And that means that no matter what's happening around me, around any of us, that God is my refuge and my strength, that um, I'm, I can be safe in the assurance that um, he's still God. I have to wait on him amid the chaos, and that he is still on the throne. Um, and so some of my praise that I um, got to share with you is um, my unemployment came through. wasn't sure if it was going to or not because of the circumstances that um, the clinic was putting forth, the reason why I was, you know, um, let go. That came through. Um, <laughs> I had 312 hours of PTO. <laughs> now, granted, it gets taxed ridiculously, <laughs> but um, 312 hours of PTO is, pretty, is a pretty good chunk to keep me through um, the end of the month. And then the best news, maybe, is that um, I have an interview with Medical Mutual on September 25th, and the recruiter sent me the benefits information upfront, so <laughs> it's kind of like they really they really want me. Um, I was also told that a lot of people that are leaving um, Cleveland Clinic are going to Medical Mutual, so it's kind of they have kind of have open arms um, and understand you know why people might be coming there. But um, after you know what, what's really um, str- a struggle for me is that I'm. I'm going to be 56 in December. Yes, believe it or not. And after 17 years of employment, I have no health insurance. I have no paycheck. I have nothing. But you know what? Um, that's okay, because um, because God's got it. Yeah. And I want to read you one last thing before I um, before I go. Um, it's when Elijah was fleeing, and Um, I'm going to pick up with verse, um, this is 1 Kings 19. I'm going to pick up in verse um, 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I feel like for the longest time I was was wanting to leave the clinic, trying to leave the clinic, but the security and the safety and the complacency of being somewhere for 17 years, it's hard and I feel like this was God saying to me, okay, I sent the fire, I sent the earthquake, I sent the, the wind, and you didn't listen. So even if it's a harsh booting out, um, not having anything to support you that you've had for the past 17 years, listen to the whisper, to be still. And so um, that's, my, that's my testimony and my praise report, and um, no one who's ever left the Cleveland Clinic has ever done worse. Um, everyone I know who has has always done better, and I'm not maligning the institution at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that um, this is this was God's way of telling me, like, you're done with that place. I have better, for, better and more for you. So just remember that. I know we all walk through... The suffering part is something I struggle to understand, but, you know... Um, Never been closer to God than at this time. You know, never been more reliant in having to lean on him um, and acknowledge who he is. And that regardless of what's going around, all the noise, that whisper is what matters the most.
6: Thank you, Rochelle. That was awesome. I need to turn my phone off; otherwise, I'm looking at myself, which is weird. Um, this actually fits with what Rochelle was talking about. We're talking about God's calling on our lives, and um, and we never know, and you never know, Rochelle. What what God might be calling you into, even. Besides your vocational job, there's some things that God may have for you that you do not expect. In fact, that often happens, doesn't it? That God is doing things that we don't understand. And today we're going to look at a prophet, his name is Ezekiel, and he is uh, his story, which we don't know a ton about, other than what he lays out in these first few chapters, is one of, of amazing weirdness, I guess, um, in the sense that he he's not at all where he thinks he's supposed to be. He thinks he's supposed to be back in Jerusalem with his family, and everything's supposed to be good and solid, and, and he's supposed to be, um, very soon according to what we think his age was, he's supposed to be um, in kind of initiated as a priest and become a priest, and in the midst of all this, everything goes terribly wrong. Israel is taken over by Babylon. He sees he sees friends and family to his left and to his right be slaughtered by the Babylonians, and then he sees his his not only his um, his house and and town, but the te- very temple where he was to be you know, initiated into the priesthood, destroyed. And he's dragged off to a place where he doesn't want to be, by the rivers of Babylon. Babylon was, was if you were a, a, a Jewish person in, in Ezekiel's day, that was the last place you'd want to be. And so everything's going not right and that's where we pick up Ezekiel's story but because we're going to talk about how how the glory of God sometimes comes to us in the least likely of places. Ezekiel 1. And I'm going to read quite a bit and it's kind of weird. So, and Ezekiel was not on hallucinogenics. He was not on medical marijuana. He was not on any of those things. But this is his experience. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, he's pretty specific. While I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. So here he is, far away from home, in a place he doesn't want to be, basically a captive. And he says on the fifth month, it was the fifth year in the exile of king jehoiachin the word of the lord came to ezekiel the priest and he's speaking now in, kind of in however first person the son of buzai by the kibar river in the land of babylonians the hand of the lord was on him and i looked and i saw a windstorm coming out of the north an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light and the center of the fire looked like glowing metal And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. And in appearance their form was human. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were those like a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides they had human hands. And all four of them had faces and wings. And the wings of one touched the wings of the other. And they went straight ahead and did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each had of the four had the face of a human being. On the right side, the face of a lion. On the left side, the face of an ox. And also the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Each had two wings spreading out upward. And each wing touching that of the other creature on either side. And each had other wings covering its body. And each one went straight ahead. And whenever this... Um, Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coal of fire or like torches, fire moving back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. And as I looked at the creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This is the appearance and the structure of the wheel. They sparkled like topaz and the four looked alike and each appearance made the wheel like an intersecting wheel, a wheel in a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change directions as the creatures went. The rims were high and awesome and all four rims were filled with eyes. When the living creatures moved, the wheels moved beside them. And when the little... Living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved, and when the creatures stood still, they stood still. And when the creature rose from the ground, the wheels rose with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And spread out above the living creatures was what looked like a vault or a giant platform. Sparkling like crystal and awesome. And we see a picture like that in the book of Revelation. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out towards one another. And each had two wings covering its body. And when the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then came a voice from above the vault, over their heads as they stood, over, with, over their heads what was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man, and I saw from that what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, and from, there, from down from there he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow on the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard one speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. And he spoke, and the Spirit came to me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking, and he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, for they know that a prophet has been among you. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them and their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you. And you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But to you, son of man, listen to what I say. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And Father, just bless your words today. And may you help me communicate this to your people I pray amen some of you maybe are just here for the first time and you're going whoa whoa is this like a Grateful Dead concert did the pastor take something before he got up in the pulpit what is this well none of the above is true other than the multitudes of weird medications you have to start taking once you start getting older so your body works Um, But the reality was that that this is an encounter with God. Uh, It's it's, it's Ezekiel's encounter with God when he is in a place that he did not think he could encounter God. There was something that we don't really understand in, in the times that the Bible was written. And one of those things that we really don't understand is that there was a belief that the gods of your nation, if they were great, would not allow your nation to be taken captive by other nations' gods. If they were, that meant the other nations' gods were greater than your God. So when Israel is taken into captivity and Elijah, or Ezekiel, I keep saying Elijah, sorry, when Ezekiel is, um, is taken captive and is, is by the, um, the river Kabar, when he's, when he's there, He's he's going through not only personal upheaval and trauma, but theological trauma. And it's into this profound set of circumstances that Ezekiel experienced his call. And I want to share with you some of the things from this passage that I think can be helpful for us in understanding how God works and how God works in really difficult times sometimes in life. Because many of you know, as Rochelle was sharing this morning, life does not go the way we think and we plan. Life often goes the very opposite of how we think it should go. And that can leave us feeling abandoned by God and like, where is God in the midst of this? And one of the things Ezekiel was looking forward to—if I say Elijah again, just raise your finger or something—I don't know. Why I keep doing that. Well, not. Don't don't do that. Never mind. I'm, forget the crowd I'm talking to. <clears throat> one of the things that, that just was amazing to me, and as I was doing some study for this, was the fact that that Ezekiel is in—he's—he's he's almost thirty, or maybe he is thirty. It's hard to tell from what the 30 that he uses here. And he's, he's living literally in times of deep darkness. He's, he's living in this exile. In exile, most of us don't understand what that is, but um, there's a, a, a Jewish rabbi, who uh, Tamara, I can't say her last name, but it's, I don't want to butcher it, so I won't say it. But she said, exile is simply, not simply being homeless, rather it is knowing that you do have a home but that your home has been taken over by enemies. Exile is not being without roots. On the contrary, it's having deep roots, which have now been plucked up. And there you are, with roots dangling, writhing in pain, exposed to a cold, enduring world, longing to be restored to the native, nurturing soil. Exile is knowing precisely where you belong, but knowing that you can't go back, not yet. And that's where Ezekiel finds himself. And he's probably mourning. There's, there's songs that are spoken, psalms that are spoken in the midst of all of this. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, there in the poplars we hung our harps. But there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're living in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you, if I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy. And so we are often called in times of darkness. We're called in times we do not expect. And yet in the midst of these kind of the least expecting times, sometimes God encounters us with some of his most spectacular encounters. I mean, this is literally one of the most amazing descriptions of the glory of God there is in all of scripture. So Ezekiel and the rest of Israel is, is taken into captivity. And what does God do? He brings His glory, which they kind of assumed would only happen in the church and the temple in Jerusalem. And He brings it outside. He brings the church outside. Go figure. Who would ever do a service outside? He brings it outside. And He brings it out into His exile. He meets Ezekiel in His exile. He meets Ezekiel where He is. He meets Ezekiel in His pain and in His suffering. And he shows him that he is there. And God wants you to know this morning that if you feel like you're in exile, if you feel like you're a million miles from God, God knows where you are and he can show you he is there. Recently, and this is just a tiny, simple thing that showed me the presence of God. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot. Sometimes it's not big, spectacular things. Sometimes it's a small thing. Um, some of you may or may not know that my daughter's boyfriend, um, his name is Brent. And his dad's name is Brent. And his uncle's name is Brent. And, and I've never met so many Brents in my whole life. I'm like, it's it's actually kind of scary because if we all get together, it creates really a, a time-space conundrum. And we may all cease to exist if we gather at one place. But... Um, Brent's sister suddenly she was 27 and her name is Susie and she died and it was very unexpected it was very hard and we went to go be with the family when she her family decided to donate some of her organs to Life Bank and we went they call it a walk of honor with the walk of honor with her at the her body at the hospital and we're walking there and kind of during all of this stuff of course my my daughter's car breaks and so we gave her one of our cars and and we and um we gave her teresa's car um i would have gave her my car except it wouldn't fit through her little driveway thing um but in the midst of that, I said, okay, I'll fix your car. And I'm thinking, okay, this shouldn't be too hard. I've got to put some shocks in it. It needs some front brakes and stuff like that. Well, everything that possibly could not work was not working. And I spent, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm spending days trying to get one stupid bolt off the shock head which sounds really simple. It kind of is really simple. But anybody who's ever done mechanical work kind of knows it isn't the really hard things that that mess you up. It's those things that seem so simple, but you just can't get them done. And so all week I've been doing that. I've been thinking, God, what are you trying to show me? I have no idea what you're trying. I'm trying to fix my daughter's car, who's going through some challenging times. She's you know doing her own clinicals at, at, at the hospital, and she's... Needing to be here and there for with her with her boyfriend and and all I'm trying to do is fix her car and and I I don't know what God is doing I don't know why this thing Teresa goes what do you think God's trying to teach us through all this car stuff lately and I go I have no idea I, I have no idea you know I, I I just want you to know if you if you are out there if you're out there and you're thinking you know I I bet Brent and Teresa they kind of really know what God's really up to all the time i am clueless i am so clueless about my own life sometimes about what god's doing so in the midst of all of this yesterday he came over for a meeting and then i went over to harbor freight and spent another five thousand dollars on you know little not that much but little things and i get this little torch and i tried a big torch to like loosen this thing up but it's in the trunk and i started the trunk on fire and that was always kind of a big deal this was quite an ordeal um and so, anyway, I had, I, I, thankfully, I, I was smart enough, I brought a fire extinguisher there with me. But I bring this little torch, and I, and I take it, and in five minutes, this thing just comes off. And it, and it was, to me, to be honest, it was just kind of a simple sign that, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think what, what Ezekiel needed in this was a deep sign of the glory of God, of the presence of God. Do you ever have those times in your life when you just need to know the glory of God, the presence of God with you? And that's what, that's what Ezekiel begins to experience. We don't need to know just about God. We need to know God. We need to know God is near. We need to feel the fire of God's presence. When we lived in Minnesota, we used to live about half the time at this cabin up north. And if you live in Minnesota, everything is up north. Even if you live up north, stuff is up north. I I don't know how it works. It's kind of a weird thing. But anyway, so we used to go up north and we would live up there and it was a one room cabin. It had it had outdoor it had an outhouse. But it was a heated outhouse. We had a heater in there. So when it was twenty below, it was only about ten below in the outhouse. Heals up hemorrhoids real quick, but um, the bottom line is. Sorry, I'm a little off track. But the bottom line was, um, we're up there and, the, and we had this one furnace in the middle of the house. It was a propane furnace, and it was it would sit in the middle of the house. And when it would start up, it would kind of bang. And so when new people came over, it was kind of fun to watch it jump a little bit when this fire would kind of come shooting out of the bottom of it, go boom, you know. But when you were outside and it was twenty below. It it was one thing to look in through the windows and see the furnace but the, it was another thing to go in and just like plant your butt right up against that heat and go oh that's what I need. You know, and sometimes what we need in life is not just to see the furnace of God, not just not to just see the the glory of God or read about it in the Bible. Sometimes we need to encounter it. And I think what's going on with Ezekiel here is he is deeply encountering the glory of God in a foreign land. And he's beginning to receive a call in the least likely of places. And this is a word for some of you this morning, that God calls to us in the least likely of places, in the least likely of circumstances, Rochelle. God calls to us he puts his call out. Oz Guinness, who is a old writer, says this. The he explains: calling is the truth that God calls us to Himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have, is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summon and service. When God began moving in Teresa my hearts, one of the things that happened is nothing seemed as important as what God was doing in our lives. Everything else became kind of background noise, and we were like, okay, God, where are we to go? What are we to do? And we did not know that we would end up in Wycliffe, Ohio. That was like the least... Uh, we didn't. In this for us. This was. Uh, this might as well have been by the rivers of Kibar. You know, we didn't know anybody. We were pulled out from where we lived and brought to another place. And your calling may not be to be to pastor a church or something like that. That uh, God calls us in all different kinds of things. He calls us into vocations. We we tend to we tend to divide out in sometimes an unhealthy way, our our careers from our calling to be with God. And I think God wants to go, you know what, those go together. Amen. Your career is part of what God has called you to. Not just to to you know, make lots of money and put yourself forward and become somebody in a, in a career. But he calls you to a career to, to bring his glory and his presence. He, he even says that as, as you're working, as you're serving, if you do it unto the Lord, you're doing it as, as you do it unto him. It's, it's being done for him. It's not, when, when you, if you're in a bad situation with work or whatever, the, the bottom line is that, that's not your boss. That's not who you're serving. You're serving God. And God is the one who rewards you. And God's calling, we cannot go into this thing without a deep experience of his glory. It says, then a voice came from above. So there's all this stuff going on here, okay? There's these angels, there's these beings with these... By the way, these are the cherubim. They're called cherubs, cherubim. A little bit different than our Hallmark version of cherubs, right? The little fat baby so with the little bow and arrow. It's like, how did we get from that to this, or this, to that. These things are... If you encountered whatever it is... You, now, and again, he's using language like, it was like, it was kind of like, if you read through the Bible, it's, I, I don't want you to make the mistake of, going, that, of a lot of like, kind of sham, what I would call sham prophets, who go, well, the, the wheels were were some, well, they were like spaceships, or they were like helicopters. They, they meant this, or they meant that. No, all of these things had meaning, but that, that isn't the kind of meaning they had. I mean, the, the wheels with eyes all over was trying to tell us that God is is fully all-seeing. He sees everything. And that He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. The fact that the, that there's these wheels with eyes and within eyes and that the beings with, with all the different faces representing all of creation is that, that God is Lord over all creation. And so what Ezekiel was experiencing... Was, was a profound encounter with the glory of God. I saw that from... And, and again, we just, I'm just reading through. God's calling requires a deep experience of His glory. We need... If, if you're called into whatever you're called into and whatever God is calling you to, you need to be first and foremost grounded in the glory of God. Now let me The glory of God is something that we sing about, we talk about, but the glory of God is something that's kind of hard to understand to be honest. Right? It's like what does that mean? And what Ezekiel does is he says this all the stuff that I just saw, he sums it up in one sentence. He says, "This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord." All of this was the likeness of the appearance of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of the one speaking. And Tim Keller does a great job of, of describing the glory of God. And he says, first of all, it's all of the things that were just listed. It's these, this, the, this presence that's so much bigger than we can understand. There's wheels within wheels, full of eyes. The, again, the the, the the omniscience of God—that He He sees and knows everything that's going on. He sees and knows the fact that you may be struggling with some, you know cancer or bone issues, or you can't walk, or that one of the nuts on your car is stuck. He sees and knows. He knows the big things. He knows the small things and not only that but he's he's all powerful he's all seeing but he's also all powerful and there's there's this picture of the grandeur of God and all, isn't it, when i was reading that did you either get, did you just get bored or did you go whoa what the heck is that when you come across passages like that somebody has encountered god and they have encountered god as God is, and it, they are literally at a complete loss for words because they're going,
1: ah, ah.
6: And I believe God still encounters us like that. My wife, um, many years ago down in Cincinnati, had an encounter with which all she could describe it as, like, I saw, I didn't really see a face, I just saw this presence, and this presence was, was human, but it was also God. And it was, it was at a time, actually, when I was having kind of the same encounter. I, was, I didn't see like what she saw, but I just had a deep sense that the presence of God was right there in the room. And it was pretty overwhelming. And everybody in the place was just kind of like, Whoa, whoa, have you ever encountered God like that? Sometimes we need that we We sometimes have a hard time with especially if you come from like for me I'm that kind of white suburban you know a s- little bit of norwegian stoic person and, and a deep, profound encounter isn't like sometimes acceptable you know like well you're in church you should just kind of have it together and i realized over time no you shouldn't if you're encountering the living god if you're encountering the one who holds the whole universe together by his word if you're encountering the 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 this god that we don't we cannot fully and completely ascertain or understand we're talking about and, and this sometimes makes people uncomfortable, and it's really hard for me to even describe what it's like, but like somebody once said, it's like experiencing the glory of God is seeing the ocean, and then trying to describe it to somebody is like trying to put the whole ocean in a thimble or in a shot glass, depending on your preference there. Um, but it's, it's trying to take something so big and so vast and, and mysterious, and, and, and we don't know everything about God. We don't understand everything. We don't see the depths and wisdom. We don't understand why some of the stuff happens that happens. We don't understand why Susie died. We don't understand why the bolt on the car decided not to come off. And we won't always understand everything until we're there. Glory is all that, but glory is also matter. It's things that matter. It's weighty. Like the the, the glory of the earth is, is like the magnetic pull of the earth which makes the moon kind of rotate around. I'm not a... Physicist, but as much as I know the, the gravitational pull of the Earth kind of keeps the moon. Is that right? Anybody scientific there? And then that's a that's a powerful gravitational pull. And then there's the sun, which we revolve around the sun because of its gravitational pull. And then all these other planets revolve around all these things. And whatever is the center of your life are the things that your life is going to revolve around. Does that make sense? If your life is centered in money, your life is going to revolve around that. If your life is centered in God, your life will revolve around that. And glory is matter. It's what matters most. You know, if you lose your phone, it matters, right? It's like, I lost my phone. I got to have my phone. I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, when I was younger, nobody would have really even cared. if. I mean, the phones were hooked onto a wall at your house. You know? But if you lose it, it's kind of important. But it's not as important if you than if you lose your job, right? And that doesn't matter quite as much as if you have a child and you lose your child. There's levels of matter how much things matter. And what matters most to you is what your life is going to revolve around. If money and power are what matter most to you, when those things are taken away, your life will be destroyed. There's a great quote by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. Somebody wrote to him once and said, why when, if you know The Lord of the Rings story, this, this power is endued with all this, you know, all the power of Sauron, all, all, everything of Sauron. And the, and the person asked, why when that thing was thrown into the, into the, the fiery furnace, why did, why did Sauron just sort of implode, you know, and dis- disappear? And Jared Tolkien's response, first of all, to this person, it was a lady writing to him, his first response was like, it's a book. It's a book. But he also said, but it's also a truth. That when we put so much matter, when something matters so much to us, that if it's taken away, And everything else in this world has the possibility of being taken away. If we put too much matter on a person, place, or thing, we will always live in the angst of wondering, what if something happens to them, it, whatever. Does that make sense? But if the thing that has the most matter for us in life is God, we need never be afraid. There's a great psalm that goes along with what Rochelle said. It says, The Lord is in His heavens on His throne. Let all the earth be silent. Why? Because He's there and it's going to be okay no matter what happens. He's there. It's going to be okay. So how do we experience God's glory? If experiencing God's glory is something that all of us need to do, how do we do that? First of all, we, we find out the ways that God did that. The way that God did that primarily is through His Son. That, so we have this big image and these big pictures in the book of Ezekiel. But then suddenly you come back to the New Testament. and It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. All that glory that you saw in Ezekiel, all that beauty and power and majesty comes down into this little girl, not little girl, but young lady named Mary and her husband Joseph. It comes down and it begins dwelling among us in her womb. The full glory of God comes down into the presence of Mary and is born here on this earth and then is revealed in the person of Jesus. The full glory of God is revealed in who Jesus is. It says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And part of what God does for us. I think, as we begin to understand and learn more about God, as He begins to help us understand that the glory of God came down into this person of Jesus and He took upon Himself all the sin and all the brokenness Scott and Lori were talking about this morning and He cast aside His glory for our sake. He, He, Left his glory, he came from heaven to earth he 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 left his glory, he allowed his his glory to be marred, he allowed himself to be beaten and broken and hung on a cross. Somebody said the bow that that Ezekiel sees over this over the temple and over God. we always think of it as like the rainbow, but actually the Hebrew is a war bow, and it's kind of a it's still the rainbow, but it's the war bow. And the imagery that he uses not only in, in um, Genesis and for, the, for the ark is that God has hung up his bow of judgment against humanity. And all those arrows of judgment against humanity have been sent into his Son so that you and I might receive the glory of God that we might be able to be people in whom God says, this is my son or this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Let me finish up quick here. This is a long passage. How do we respond to this? I think we respond to it just like everybody else does in Scripture. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice speaking. Isaiah goes, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And by the way, at some point in your life, you're going to come to a place, if you're encountering the living God, where you begin to realize how broken you are. And Scott described that perfectly this morning, that we are f- far, more, far worse than we can possibly imagine, and we're far more loved than we can ever comprehend. Peter says, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Moses face glowed so much that people couldn't even look at Moses afterwards. How do we respond? We respond by humbly bowing down before him and letting him do his work in us. And so today in, in conclusion, God's still working no matter what's going on with you. And He can reveal His presence and His glory to you in a lot of different ways. And as we move into the different stages of our life, my one call for all of us is that if we have things that matter, that we glorify more than God, that we would ask God to help us to shed those things and to put Him in the center of our universe, Father, uh, this I feel totally inadequate at communicating any of the, what I just said. So please take take my words and may they may they permeate our hearts. May they permeate our souls. May we just be like like Ezekiel was. May we just be undone by Your greatness and Your glory. May Your presence fill this place. May those who have never felt the warmth or the fire or an encounter with You, may they encounter You. May those who feel very unworthy realize that that's how we always feel when we come in the presence of somebody great and awesome. And may we, like Ezekiel, eat Your Word, And bring it to the people you call us to bring it to. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience in going through all this. God's blessing. If you'd like prayer today, I would love to pray with you or somebody here would would love to pray with you. God bless.